Father, we do thank you for the way that you have been speaking to us this week through Kerry. And Lord, I just want to say more, please, more every day. Bless him and anoint him and use him to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is a lamp for our path and a light for our feet. Those who walk in your word are blessed. And so, Lord, we are blessed. Amen. So we're in the practical session of Colossians, and uh, we come up to chapter 3. Uh, there is the wonderful part at the end of it where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives, which I don't propose to deal with at all. Uh, except to say that it is linking repentance and holiness into the family. And that's what's important. It's where the rubber hits the road. And we'll look at that in a moment. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now, you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. And since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord that, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So Lord, as we've already prayed that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Guide us again in the living word. May there be manna for us today. From Jesus. Amen. So we're looking then at practical holiness in this chapter. I know somebody said to me the other day, oh, this is very theological, but we were in the theological section. And that's the way it works. Your theology is meant to lead to practice. And bad theology produces bad practice. In fact, bad theology produces sin. And I said it earlier, but it was my old pastor many years ago that said it to me. If you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. And the point is, we need to know what we believe and why it is important to walk in holiness. Ultimately, it is because God is holy. And the holy God lives in us. If Christ is the fullness of the deity and that he lives in us, then the fullness of the deity is living in us. The Holy One is living in us. How can he not produce a desire for holiness? It has to be there. But we've already said that we have two sides to holiness. We have positional holiness in which we are treated as holy for Christ's sake and we have progressive holiness in which we grow into what we are. Here it is described as being remade in the image of our creator and so that hidden image, that lost image, that marred image whereby Adam was created in the image of God is now being restored progressively in those who believe. And when we see him, we shall be like him. And we shall see him as he is in all his glory. Until that day, we are on a journey. We're not on a journey hmm, searching for salvation. We have been 
apprehended by the Saviour and now we are on a journey into the likeness and image of God that he intended to make us in in the first place. You understand? We're being changed from glory to glory. Very good. This uh, book, in a sense, has a subtext and it's about fruitfulness. But fruitfulness is holiness. Holiness is wholeness. Um, he says in chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6, the gospel is bringing forth fruit, as it also is amongst you. In verse 10 he says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing knowledge. In chapter 2 he talks about being rooted and established in faith. And so, what we're learning is that understanding knowledge, gnosis, which was the argument of the Gnostics saying you must have knowledge. All knowledge must lead to practical holiness. And in order to make this work, he gives us two key actions and three guiding lights. At least that's what I see in this chapter. The two key actions are putting off and putting on. It's there in verse 9 and 10. Uh, he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed. And so we are to put off and to put on. And if we think of it in those terms, there are certain things that we have to <coughs> have nothing to do with and throw away their old clothes. We don't need them anymore. Have you noticed, I do, how people pay for jeans with holes in them these days? <laughs> I don't get it. You know, uh, somebody tried to sell me a pair with a frayed bottom. I said, I don't want the bottom of my jeans to pray until about four years old, thank you very much, you know. But I know it's not fashion. Well, nobody can convince, uh, accuse me of being fashionable. But there are things that are worn out. That's the old way of life. We want to put it off. There are things we want to put on. The three guiding lights, they are the peace of the Spirit, the Word of God, and a heart of praise. So that's what we're looking at today, putting off and putting on, and then the guiding lights, the peace of the Spirit, the Word of God, and a heart of praise. Verse 3, it says, You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Then there's a list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It's a strange picture. You died, therefore put to death. It's as if we've died, but it's still twitching. There's still something of the old nature there. And actually, to understand it, you've got to go to Romans 8 and 10. It says there, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin... Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And the picture of a Christian that we have is of a living spirit in a dead body. You understand? Um, and in between the living spirit and the flesh that is dead is the soul. And he says, set your mind on 
things above. That's part of the soul. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, your will, your personality. It's what makes you. We are spirit, soul and body. And the nexus between the dead body and the living spirit is the soul. And so that's where the battle for the Christian life goes on in that area of our soul. And it says it here, set your mind on things above. And so the question is, what fills your heart and mind? It doesn't just say your mind. In verse 1 it says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. So it has to be a desire and it has to be a reasoned approach. Both are important, mind and heart, desires and will. We've got to focus, focus ourselves on Christ. What fills your heart most of the time? Lunch. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do remember uh, one lady uh, in the middle of a sermon when I was preaching as a young minister. She said, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. I thought, oh, a question in the middle of a sermon. She said, Kevin, Kevin, can I go home? I think I've left my chicken on top of the fridge and the cat might be eating it. <laughs> Her mind wasn't really set on things above. It was set on whether the cat had eaten the chicken. And so she had to rush home to you know, find out if her chicken had been left out so as the cat wasn't devouring Sunday lunch. But our minds are full of so many things. Worries, the problems in the world, the plans that we have for our life. Commit your plans to the Lord and they will succeed, he says. Um, I love the other one, though, is there is no plan uh, and no strategy that can succeed against the Lord. He just can't. His plans are going to succeed. So we shouldn't worry about our plans. We should submit our plans to him. Is our mind filled with books or the TV? There are so many things. And these things aren't all, of course, sinful and wrong. But, but it's where are we looking? It's what we were talking about the other day by being captivated by vision. Like a child is captivated by a vision of Christmas and looks forward to it and, and wants to be there and is excited about it. Our vision, our captivation is not this world. It is the world to come. The world and its lusts are passing away. They're going. But the kingdom of God stands forever. Oh, you have noticed how people misuse the term kingdom of God these days. I'm sure they, they talk about building the kingdom and doing kingdom work on earth as if the kingdom was something that was going to come through the energy and uh, good works of the church. And though we are representatives of the kingdom, in a sense we are outposts of the kingdom on earth, the kingdom isn't coming by anything we do. The kingdom comes when the king comes. And wherever the king reigns, there is the kingdom. And if he reigns in our heart, there is the kingdom of God. And he will come one day. And when the king comes, the king will reign and the kingdom will be here. We're not bringing it in. We are subjects of the kingdom in a foreign land. Just like an ambassador, a subject of the kingdom in a foreign land. We are ambassadors for Christ. And as ambassadors of Christ, we have to have our mind on what our kingdom wants. It's our king that matters. It's a vision of his kingdom and his desires. 
I've probably told you this story before. Forgive me if you remember it, but I think it's a good one. Um, and it goes back to W.E. Sangster, um, who was a great Methodist preacher in the 1950s, I guess. And Sangster speaks of the water spider. Uh, the water spider lives in our British rivers, but it has a real problem. It lives underwater, but it breathes air. So what it does every morning is it goes to the top of the stalk of the plant on which it lives and it weaves a web of air from the atmosphere above. And then it drags that web of air, that bubble, down into the world underneath that it lives in. And then it climbs inside that bubble of air and it lives there. Is that not a picture of prayer? Is that not a picture of what we need to do? Reach up with our hearts and minds into the atmosphere of the peace and presence and wonder of God and then bring that atmosphere down into our own lives and live in the presence throughout the day of the one that we have met. We need to set our hearts on things above, set our minds on things above. We've already said as well that there is such a change in our lives. We used to sing it. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart. Oh, I've gone too low. Floods of joy, oh, my soul, like the sea billows roar. Since, you know, and we've been changed people. How are we changed? Well, <laughs> firstly, we're changed in our spiritual condition. You were dead in sins, but now you're alive with Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 13. We've changed our kingdom. We've been partakers of the saints, of the inheritance of light. So we've moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We've changed our standing. Once we were alienated from God and enemies in our minds, chapter 1 and verse 21. And of course, we've changed our nature in that Christ is in us and his nature is now being imprinted in us. And so if our nature is changed, if our kingdom is changed, if our standing before God is changed and if our spiritual condition is changed, we've got to put off the dirty clothes. We've got to live holy. He gives two categories of dirty clothes to put off. The first is the sins of the flesh. The sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And Jesus understood that those came from the heart. Though we call them the sins of the flesh, an outward thing, they're actually motivated by the desires of our heart. Matthew 15, verse 18 to 20 out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. And so it's what captivates our heart. Um, I'm sure you've all sucked a locket when you've had a, uh, a bad throat. And uh, lockets have that little honeycomb centre, don't they? And you suck it down and you suck it down and you suck it down and crack and then it bathes the back of your throat. Well, sin's like that. It is a sweet coating on a poisonous centre. 
and we suck it down and we suck it down and we suck it down until it's cracked. It suddenly breaks and affects and affects our whole body. We need to put off these things and not let them into our hearts. Nobody sees our hearts, only Jesus. But they can see our actions. And through our actions, what's in our heart will eventually be shown. Sins of the flesh, put them off. But then there's the second category. And this is perhaps more problematic for many Christians. It's our words. Verse 8 and 9. You, are, you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And do not lie to one another. But did you notice that? God won't do it for you. You yourselves. It's a double imperative. You do it. You do it yourself. Change the way you speak. And perhaps... I think I learned in this conference as much as anywhere that it's our words where we offend more than almost any other area. Have you still got foot in mouth disease? I get it. I get it when I get ratty and tired mostly. You know, if I've had a long week and, and actually there's a danger for me. I'm hearing an alarm bell now because I'm sleeping fairly well but I'm tired and I'm getting up and speaking, and by the end of the week, I'm going to be tired. Uh, plus, if I'm not careful, I'll be a little miffed, because I've only been fishing once, and I haven't done that yet, and if it rains on Friday when I want to go fishing, I'll probably be right miffed. And then, having been tired, I've got to drive home to Anne-Marie. And what happens when you get home? Anne-Marie doesn't perhaps teach me, treat me with the attention I think I deserve. You know? I don't deserve anything, but, but you know, I think I do. Uh, and if she doesn't treat me with the attention, I, uh, what do I do? I get miffed. I get ratty. Oh, we had a difficult one the other day. Um, I needed to post a letter at the letterbox. And I was just going out the door to post the letter when Anne-Marie rang. She says, I'm on the way back from Asda. I said, oh, that's good. Uh, are you shopping? Yeah. Well, you wait in the Asda car park, I'll walk up, I'll post the letter, and I'll get in the car and you bring me back. Of course, when I got to the car park, I'd walk through the park to get there and she'd gone down the road. She wasn't there anymore. Was I pleased? And all the way back, I'm thinking, and it was one of those nice hot days, you know. I've just walked more than half a mile. It was only half a mile. Well, I've just walked half a mile. I asked her to wait. She didn't wait. You know, and, and you're having to debate, but I've got to forgive. You know, so how do I tell her I'm upset and yet forgive? You know, and, and you have this discussion with yourself and, you know, you almost say, well, how long can I be miffed for? You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, and that's the way the flesh works because flesh is solely for me. 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 It's selfish. And I did tell her, why didn't you wait? Because I wasn't that gracious <laughs> when I got home. But we put it right. Um, and obviously I just took too long when I sauntered through the park and she thought I wasn't coming. And bad communication mostly. But we do get upset. So I've got to hear an alarm bell. If I get back tired, she's missed me. I'm the one that's left her for a week to work and to go through the things she has to do without anybody at home to share with. 
because the children are all 105 miles away or 4,000 miles away. And, uh, you know, I've got to be Rod Blessed, haven't I? I've got to be Rod Strachey. Husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say husbands understand your wives. <laughs> Bible doesn't say that. You've got to take it for granted. You're not going to understand. Husbands, love your wives. That's the core. And actually, the one that wants to lead a family, the husband particularly, needs to lead in the art of love. Needs to lead in the art of forgiveness. The one that's the leader has to love the most. Didn't Jesus show that when he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet? Leading is through love. Husbands, love your wives. To put off these things. And do not lie to one another. Do we ever do that as Christians? I think we mostly do it because we don't want to offend folk. We don't want to uh, tell the whole truth, so we tell half the truth. Half the truth is a whole lie. Um, Jesus just said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and anything beyond this is sin. And we find it very difficult because it isn't the culture we live in. I've seen it around deathbeds so many times. You know, people sitting there lying to the one that's dying, saying, oh, you'll be home next week, you'll be better. Don't worry about it. What a lie. But I've occasionally seen it where somebody's gone in and said, he was trusting Jesus. And he asked his forgiveness. And then seen the peace come when the person does. But that was very, very occasionally. Put off these things. Rage, anger, malice, slander. Filthy language. What are we to put on? Put on the new self. <laughs> With putting off, it's either put it off or put it right. You understand? If you haven't managed to put it off, then you open your big mouth and put it right. Put it off or put it right. But putting on. Well, it's the new self. And I am pleased that it says in verse 10, which is being renewed. We're not there yet. It is the process. But how is it being renewed? That's what I say at the beginning. In the image of its creator. And then we're given a picture of the image of the creator. <coughs> Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Who's the creator? Oh, didn't we read that in chapter 1? It's Jesus. We all think of uh, the familiar Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. But here's another list. It is describing Jesus. He's the one with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that's the image that he's trying to imprint in us. That's what's being renewed. That's what he wants us to be so that we bear the likeness of big brother Jesus. Uh, I am told um, that my daughter Bethany uh, has just found, I haven't seen it, a picture of me some 15, 20 years ago 
and she's put it on our Facebook page and she said, look, it's Josh in 20 years. Because <laughs> that's me son, you see. And, and he looks very much like me. And that's what should be happening. The image of big brother Jesus should be being progressively renewed and imprinted in our hearts. When God took us on, he took on a restoration project. Anybody like those restoration programs? Uh, anybody watch The Chateau? And the woman called Angel drives me bonkers. They're so weird. But it's interesting. I prefer the ones where they restore a car uh, and, and Guy What's-His-Face, you know, the bloke that goes and drives like a nutter on the Isle of Man. He, he redoes a car or something like that. Um, but that's what God's done. And it's progressive. He saved our spirit. When the Holy Spirit came to live in our spirit and we were born again. He is saving our soul by renewing us in the image of God. And that's progressive with being renewed. One day the body will be redeemed. That's not till resurrection morning. That hasn't come yet and we await eagerly, <laughs> the Bible says, the resurrection that morning. But until then, we are a living spirit in a dead body and God is renewing the soul. Spirit flows out into soul, soul flows out into body. And so you can be renewed in your body. The closer you are to Jesus, the better body you're going to get because it's going to flow outwards. But ultimately this body dies. And the redemption is the day of resurrection. What we need is an attitude adjustment so that we put on the attitude of Christ. And somebody might say, I don't feel like putting on the attitude of Jesus. I don't feel like being kind or compassionate or gentle or humble or patient. I don't want to bear with others. You know, I, I love that he's put that one. He says, bear with one another. It's a pretty low standard, isn't it? You know, put up with them. And this is what he's saying. You know, that church you're going to, put up with them. You know, they've got problems, you've got problems. Knock along together, bear with each other. And then he says, forgive whatever grievances you have. That means you're going to have grievances. This is going to happen. Forgive them. Why? There's the principle. As Christ forgave you. If you've been forgiven, you've got to forgive. Surely you remember the parable. I can't do it in Jesus speak, but it was the bloke um, that owed his master £50,000. And his mate owed him a fiver. And his master let him off, but he throttled his mate for the fiver. You know, it, it won't do, will it? We have to forgive because we are forgiven. If we don't, it can easily eat us up. And whether we forgive, a grievance is the test of our character. It's whether we grow. It shows if we are doing it. I remember many years ago, a lady called Jean nobody here and um, she was healed in a meeting that uh, I was part of 
uh, I hadn't prayed for her, but somebody else had prayed for her. Jean was a big lady, and she had had an open ulcer in her leg for months. And she explained that it was, whenever she moved, like having a knife stuck in her leg and moved about. And she was in pain all the time. And she was prayed for in Little Sutton when I was there. The pain left her leg instantly. And over the next three months, the ulcer closed up and dried up and healed. No pain and a healing ulcer. Wonderful. Jean came along to church a few times. She didn't get saved. She was simply healed. I went to visit her. Eventually she made excuses not to come. But on one time that I visited her, <coughs> she said, you know, I'm really concerned about my sister. My mum died recently and everybody in our family knew that mum kept her stash of money in the brass ring, the brass, brass mantle ring that was above her fireplace and that the ends screwed out and that all her money was in there. The whole family knew it. And when I arrived at mum's house after the uh, funeral, my sister was there and the ring had been taken off the wall. And my sister said, there was nothing in it. I think Jean believed her. You never know if there's anything in it or not. But Jean continued to believe that her sister had swindled her out of her mum's money. She wasn't willing to forgive the grievance and the grievance consumed her. She didn't find forgiveness and she was not forgiving. You have to be very, very careful. <laughs> what did it say at the end? Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favouritism. Interesting. And over all these virtues, verse 14, put on love, which binds them together. The picture you get there is of uh, love being the belt that holds all the clothes in place. Doesn't mean you don't put the other clothes on. Some people treat love as if it was the only virtue. Friends, I am not going to stand before you just wearing a belt. It's not right. You, you understand? But if we don't put the other things on, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other and forgiving, we're not properly clothed. It's love that pulls them all together, like the belt around the waist. I, I hope that wasn't being rude. I, I hope it wasn't. You, 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 that wasn't the... Yeah, yeah, not a nice picture. No, no, but you understand, it says, put on love that binds all these things together in perfect unity. Our doctrine is meant to lead to love. This is what it's meant to lead. But it's meant to lead to a totally revitalised character. And people these days say, love is everything. Well, yeah, but Jesus said, if you will love me, you will obey my commandments. Love obeys. And love is not an excuse for disobedience. <laughs> it is a reason to obey. Oh, that also applies to the um, marital bit later on. So that's putting off and putting on. What about the guiding lights? Three of them. 
we know this one, so I won't spend forever with it. Uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And Wayne mentioned it when he was speaking the other night, the idea of the umpire or the referee, I guess with the Cricket World Cup and the uh, Ashes being uh, played at the moment, we're thinking of an umpire, aren't we? Uh, it's the Dicky Bird kind of man. And when they put up their finger, the game stops. Why? Somebody's broken the rule. And until it's not put, until it's put right, the game doesn't continue. It's a no ball, whatever it is. And the idea is that if we can live in the presence of the peace of God, with his peace resting on our spirits day by day, but the moment we lose that peace, let the peace of God rule, it's the umpire putting up his finger and saying, Kevin, you got that wrong. That wasn't patient, that wasn't kind, that wasn't a depiction of the life of Jesus in you. And I can either at that point say, yes sir. You should hear, I, I'm a rugby league fan, I'm a big rugby league fan. Um, and Kevin Brown, whom I actually know, uh, he plays for Warrington and he's their first receiver. I'm sure you need to know that. Um, he was given a mic during the game. And you would expect you know, out of rugby players to be profanities coming during the game. Not so. Not so. Every time he addressed the referee, he was the captain at the time, and only the captain can address the referee, it was sir, sir, yes sir, sir. There was a respect in the man's demeanour towards the referee. Did you get that in football if they put on a, a mic? <laughs> Let's put a mic on Christian Bale, see how Christian he is. You know, I don't know. Interesting, isn't it? We are meant to respect the peace of God, the umpire. And if that peace is lost, we need to go back and say, where did I lose it? Where did I get it wrong? And then to confess that sin, to bring it to the cross, to find that cleansing, to be restored in that peace and to rejoice in walking again with the presence of Jesus. Let the peace of God rule. Umpire, guide your heart. I'm sure you've read that yourselves. It's one of the uh, key chapters in the Calvary Row. Because the Holy Spirit does more than one thing. He convicts, he converts, uh, he brings his peace and he empowers. And what we want is that ongoing ministry of conviction and in a sense of conversion. That we are brought back again into the place of peace. And of course, we know as well that when we're contemplating sin, that peace can leave there. So if you find you are tempted by sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, or filthy language, even when we are tempted to these things, the Holy Spirit can bring that disquiet. And at that point, <coughs> we should confess. They are old clothes. They need not just putting off, they need throwing away. How many old clothes you got in your wardrobe? It's time for a clear out. Clear out the old clothes of bad attitudes. First, a second one, guidance of the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Obviously it can't dwell in you richly if you don't read it. I, I guess we're all Bible reading people. 
Um, and there are many, many ways to read the Bible. Um, I enjoyed some years ago reading <coughs> Robert Shuler's book, uh, the author of Positive Thinking and stuff like this. He's an interesting character. He's built the Crystal Cathedral uh, in, I'm wanting to say Los Angeles, but it could be somewhere else. Anyway, uh, Robert Shuler. Ah, well, I've now forgotten what he said. <laughs> oh, dear. I get all, all that introduction about Robert uh, and then forget why. Oh, yeah. He says that he went to visit a um, businessman. Uh, and the secretary didn't let him in at first uh, because the businessman was having a time of prayer and reading his Bible. Uh, and when Robert went in, the businessman talked to him and he said, I used to uh, not know how to read the Bible. And then he thought, I wonder how many pages there are in the Bible. So he went to the back and he looked at how many pages there are. Oh, a thousand or something, okay. And then he divided that amount of pages by 365. And it came out at three and a half. And almost any Bible, if you take the number of pages and divide them by the number of days in the week, almost any Bible comes out at three and a half pages. Not chapters, pages. Could you read three and a half pages a day of your Bible? If you could, you'd read it through in a year. And so this businessman had said to Robert Shuler, I have now read my Bible through 12 times or something like that. And the point is, it becomes the backdrop to our life when the word dwells in us richly. It becomes the um, tapestry against which we live and it becomes the basis of our decision making. We know that a, a sermon or two is nice and helpful, but it's... Uh, receiving the word into our lives regularly ourselves that will most help us. Um, people have compared, uh, and I, I like the comparison, uh, the word, to the two words in Greek that are used for it, the logos and the rhema. Uh, the logos being Jesus, the eternal word, uh, and, and the written word that stands forever. But a rhema being a now word. A word for that moment. Uh, you'll know in um, Greek the word for time. You've got two, kairos and chronos. From chronos we get our word chronology and chronograph. And that simply means the passage of time. But kairos, that's an appropriate moment. That's like, oh, just at the right time God met us. Not as in the passage of time, but specific time. And, and there can be the written word, the eternal word, the meat of the word. But there can also be the manna. The manna that we pick up every day. Meat and manna. Um, logos and rhema. A specific word spoken into our life. And when we know the word, God can speak to us. When I was praying to him about decisions I will personally have to make uh, in the next months, two verses of the Bible came strongly to mind. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Can two walk together unless they agree? And a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
and I felt God was speaking to my situation about the decisions I would have to make. Not everybody will make the same decision as I have, but it's very difficult circumstance. We need the guidance of the word. It needs to dwell in us richly so that it not only informs our thoughts, but actually it becomes the basis on which we stand and the way in which we make decisions. And we need to remember the Holy Spirit will never inspire us to do something contrary to the word of God. He just doesn't do it. He inspired the word, he inspires now, and he will always inspire in line with the eternal written word. Third thing, third, uh, what did I call it? I've had a look. Memory's going. Guiding lights. Third guiding light. First one, the peace. Second one, the word of God. Third one, a heart fixed on praise. Verse 16, as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. There must be some difference between the three because he wouldn't have mentioned all three, would he? We know what a psalm is, so we can work that out. Uh, and, and it was partly this that started me singing through the psalms. Are you going to try it when you get home? Are you going to try singing through the psalms, you know? Um, I don't mean inventing a tune for it. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord for all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, or mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. Just sing the psalm, yeah? Open up your mouth, begin to sing it. Makes them a lot more fun. Uh, and, and it means they last longer. Because, you know, you, you sort of, right, reading the psalm, reading the psalm, reading the psalm, reading the psalm. Right, read it, what's I do next? But, you know, it's, yeah. Have a go. Sing through the psalms. It'll take a while. Good thing to do. And uh, it engages both mind and heart. You can read it through first, but, you know, give it a go. I couldn't sing that again now to try it. Just sort of. But isn't that also what he means by psalms, hymns, which is uh, obviously pretty well what we've got, uh, thought-out compositions declaring and describing the glory of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, uh, that's hymns. Uh, but spiritual songs, aren't the others spiritual? Well, of course they are. But I think it means songs that are inspired by the Spirit. At that point, I think he's talking about extemporary songs. I think he's talking about songs for specific congregations. I actually think each local church ought to have its own songs. We don't. We borrow everybody else's. But actually, as an authentic expression of what is going on in our area, in our place, God can give us songs. How about that? You might be a poet and you don't know it. <coughs> you might be an author of songs for your church. Well, it's possible. So, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But it says, with gratitude in your heart to God. Uh, and that's the point of a song, isn't it? It expresses the joy, the gratitude, the praise of the heart. 
and certainly over the last 30 years there has been a, a renewed understanding that as we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise we get closer to God that praise and worship are a means of entry into the presence of the Holy One and that's why it's important to praise and worship him uh, if your heart isn't in it if it isn't with gratitude in your heart if you're just singing the words it doesn't work but if it comes mind and heart in one <laughs> I read somewhere that at that point God silences the whole of heaven and says look my people are praising me we see so little of the glory so little of the wonder of heaven we don't understand at all and if he just opens a little bit of it the window and we say oh isn't that wonderful isn't that awesome and it makes us praise him the more but when we who see so little of the glory worship in mind and heart in unison the one true god this author said he silences in heaven he silences heaven and the father says look my people are worshiping me don't downplay praise and worship it's so important but I, i'm not saying we're guilty of it but people have been simply writing it off as oh they're all happy clappy well, i'd rather than miserable wouldn't you yeah um, yeah it's a way into god's presence and it's actually a command <laughs> as you sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs it's something you're supposed to do you know so we're to do this it's an instruction to be obeyed so what have we said if we want to be fruitful we have got to learn to put off the old self which is still kicking <laughs> with its attitudes and its words we must fix our hearts and minds the two on jesus and have a vision of another kingdom we must put on the new self and attitudes which are being recreated in the image of god we must listen to the guiding peace of the holy spirit we must dwell richly in the word until it richly dwells in us we must forgive because we have been forgiven and we must lift our hearts in praise with thanksgiving and when we do we'll be living a life that pleases the lord and when we get it wrong we have the cross amen please